Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And I'm Simone Malaz with Restore or Retreat. And you are tuned in for another week of Delta Dispatches. Uh, You know, Simone, June is going to be here before you know it. Um, I've referred to quarantine today because I didn't know what I like literally didn't know what day it was. My sister was talking about tomorrow. I kept talking about Thursday. So it's it's quarantine shock. Yes, quarantine. It sounds like a blast, <laughs> but it's not. Um, well, I hope you're hanging in there. And, um, you know, of course, there's been no shortage of activity as it relates to, um, you know, issues of Louisiana's coast. The legislature is in session, and I know you and others have been um, following a lot of the pieces of legislation and the bills that are moving forward as it relates to our coast. So why don't you give us a little update of what things are going down at our state's capital? You know, Jacques, usually when it's regular session, um, like it is this uh, legislature, it, it moves fast enough, right? They have weekly committee meetings, but it moves really fast. And now that we're on this really compressed schedule because they have to adjourn by a certain time, they are on rapid fire. So um, there have been a couple of committee hearings on the uh, CPRA's annual plan, uh, which is really their authorization to spend, um, how they can spend any dollars that they might receive. Um, And that was on the House floor uh, and it passed the resolution uh, was adopted unanimously, which is a good sign. They do lots of, uh, they like unanimous support on bills just like that, on resolutions just like that. So it'll now go, uh, finish going through the Senate side as well. Um, there's also where some funding bills too. Um, there are only certain eligible uses for surplus funds, um, one-time only uses, and, and Coastal is usually a recipient of those funds. And we were slated to receive those um, from previous fiscal years, um, but that was recently zeroed out um, so that um, it was uh, said that they're trying to save the dollars, right? So um, that's something that we're definitely going to keep our eye on. Well, yeah, we'll definitely have to, um, you know, stay in the loop and kind of stay updated on what's happening. And we know you do a great job keeping us updated. Um, Great to see that unanimous vote on the annual plan. And, and, you know, it seems like it's been several years now that 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 has happened. So a widespread support for it. Um, Of course, folks can go to our Mississippi River Delta Facebook page and, and kind of follow us. And if there's anything we'd like you or, you know, want you to take action on, of course, you can find out the latest and greatest there. But we have a wonderful show planned. Um, Simone, I know you don't like talking about things outside of Louisiana, but um, today we're going to you know, highlight some of the experts, the people working in Louisiana, but talk a little bit about an exchange that um, Environmental Defense Fund actually hosted for resilience officers across the country. So you know, there's a number of resilience offices and officers who are working, you know, up and down the Atlantic and Gulf coasts to talk, to help people confront, um, you know, sea level rise, hurricanes and build resilience. And so um, we had an opportunity to bring together some of our Louisiana leaders and talk about the amazing work that's been done in Louisiana and then hear from some of the other states. So um, one of the people that um, participated and actually led a presentation highlighting the work in Louisiana is none other than our state's um, chief resilience officer and in the governor's office of coastal activities, 
former guest, but good friend, Charles Sutcliffe. Charles, I cannot believe we haven't had you back on Delta Dispatches uh, more sooner than this. Um, but thank you for, for coming back. And, and how are things going? Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks, Jacques and Simone. Uh, I don't know how I've avoided um, being here again. I had, a, I had a great experience the last time, so there's no reason that it should have taken me a few years to get back to it. But here we are today. Uh, we, I'm doing fine. My family's doing fine. Um, we, you know, everybody's healthy. That's great. And we're trying to figure out the right way to get back into a more regular swing of things. Um, so, yeah. Well, glad to hear that you and your family are doing well. And also, you know, apologies that, you know, you haven't uh, been back sooner, but now that you're on the rotation, we're going to have you back all the time. So I think, you know, you're going to be, you know, up there competing for avid listener and frequent guests. So look out. Um, okay. I do have to ask, uh, you know, you've been busy clearly in the governor's office of coastal activities. So what are some of the things that you've been working on and tell us how the governor's office of coastal activities relates to um, what folks might be familiar with on our show, the coastal protection and restoration authority. Sure. So our office is essentially the staff for the governor's executive assistant for coastal activities, which is a kind of the cabinet level position that, um, that Chip Klein has now, um, we, uh, we do a couple things. We're, we're basically the policy arm of the CPRA. So we liaison with local, state, and federal government. We are helped, um, you know, usher the annual plan that you just talked about through the legislature every year. We also interact with a wide range of stakeholders from business and industry groups to community groups, NGOs, um, we also provide the staff for the CPRI board and all its various subcommittees and working groups. So we've got subcommittees on the National Flood Insurance Program. We've got a levy consortium. We've got a finance working group. We've got other things that we're kind of involved with all the time. And we also um, kind of run other meetings that kind of keep the coastal conversation going. So the Governor's Advisory Commission, um, uh, what is, what's the other one called? Um, anyway, different different entities like that. So we're kind of always always working on under the broad policy issues that relate to the coast. Well, that's awesome. And, you know, I'm sure like many, you all have been very busy this year and also busy trying to navigate, I guess, this new normal. And how do you keep business going and keep, you know, the work of our coast going um, despite, you know, what's happening, uh, you know, to our, to our communities and kind of outside in the world. So I um, want to talk a lot more about that. Um, Charles, we've got a few minutes left, but, you were recently appointed uh, Louisiana's first chief resilience officer, correct? So tell us a little bit about that. And in the next segment, we're going to talk about the exchange where you were able to um, connect with resilience officers from across the, the country. So tell us a little bit about the role of chief resilience officer and why it's so important for a state like Louisiana to have one. Yeah, well, I think I think this role is something that we have uh, been been building towards for a long time. We've got a long history of of making you know smart smart moves in this direction. So back in the '80s, you know, they created um, you know my boss's position, the the governor's executive assistant. Late '80s, they they stood that up and they they envisioned that to be this cross agency um, czar like position that could help both elevate the importance of, um, you know, coastal change and, and that problem in the governor's office and also work to create a single, a single like response from across state government. So, so I think that's really um, an early sign that we were working towards that. Um, 
So we so we've had we've had we've kind of been evolving along the way, right? We've had different types of disasters that have led us to think a little bit differently about how we approach you know the issue or how we kind of evolve the way the state government can respond to things. We 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 get new tools along the way, and so I think that's what what my position is really is just recognizing another way that that we need to start um, expanding the conversation about the coastal problem and what we can do to respond to it. Yeah, it's so interesting. And I think some of the, you know, conversations I've heard, you know, it's so easy of, for us to think about issues of the coast just within the lens of the coast. But, you know, Simone and I talk about this all the time. And just by the, the, the number of guests and diversity of guests that we've had on the show, clearly coastal issues touch so many different sectors and communities and agencies. So I'm sure it's a lot to coordinate. Um We are about to head into a break, but um, Simone had a fun question about our avid listener that she wanted to ask you. This does not count against my fun question quota of the day, but Charles, before we go to break, you have to tell us something about Chip Klein um, that he would not tell us himself. Well, I don't know when the last time he was on, but did you guys hear about his quarantine haircut that he got from his kids? Anyway, so there's a photo going around that I think everybody and all your listeners will be interested to see. And so I guess one of his kids got a little excited with the, the clipper, took a piece out of the back of his head. But um, I, I was a little jealous, though. I would have I would have given anything for some hair clippers, even even a straight <laughs> stray clipper. But um, anyway, that's that's what I've got for you today. <laughs> Well, and I know he's been in committee and, and seen in public, so perhaps it's grown back uh, in that time. But yeah, it, it was definitely great to see. And I think we could all use a, a little, you know, clipping these days. So we're about to head into a break, but um, we'll be right back with Charles Sutcliffe. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM, always available online, deltadispatches.org. to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And I'm Simone Malas with Restore or Retreat, and I have this week's Coastal Voice of the Week. I support our coast because its health is vital to protecting cities, both along its shores and further inland, our state's economy, and the unique culture that draws in people from all over the world. That's from Stacy in Baton Rouge. Stacy talking about coastal things up in Baton Rouge. Look at that. Just a reminder, you can add your coastal voice at MississippiRiverDelta.org slash restore-the-coast. Back to you, Jacques. Thanks, Simone. And we're back with Charles Sutcliffe, Louisiana's Chief Resilience Officer, as well as in the Governor's Office of Coastal Activities. So welcome back to Delta Dispatches, Charles. Thanks. So, Glad to be here. I know Simone, um, you know, kind of jumped ahead and asked a fun question already, but we will be sure to ask a fun question that's specific to you. So I guess my fun question is, let's be, you know, simple. It's almost summertime. It's getting hot. I think for the most part, snowball stands may be opened again. So just make sure if you get a snowball, you do so safely. But what is your favorite flavor of snowball, Charles? Oh, I think I, I can't resist the black cherry. It's not very exotic, but it's just a classic, I think. Oh, 
Charles, that's pretty exotic for a snowball, right? Charles is a big foodie. He's going to start the CPRA food blog. Trust me. Um, so that's interesting. You know, Jacques experiment. Don't judge him for that, but that's what he is. I, I love- said not to judge, I guess we won't. So <laughs> I don't know why it's such a controversial flavor, but anyway, it's very refreshing on it a hot summer like day. Gum. It tastes like gum. <laughs> and gum is delicious. All right. Anyway, back to the matter at hand. Um, so Charles, you recently participated in uh, an exchange with different resilience officers from around the country and Environmental Defense Fund helped convene the two-day meeting that happened virtually. Um, I know it was supposed to happen in person, and hopefully we can have um, folks come to Louisiana at some point. But the whole first day was about the lessons learned from the work that Louisiana's done, both on the restoration side, as well as kind of in the community engagement side, and highlighting the progress that folks at CPACs and Louisiana Safe and Foundation for Louisiana and others have, have contributed on resilience. So I guess first, like, tell us a little bit about what were some of the lessons and messages that you shared with the people outside of Louisiana about our lessons uh, here in, in the state. Yeah, I think, you know, broadly, the takeaways, just kind of like you mentioned, we did have a bunch of different, um, not only different state agencies talking on the phone, because this, this work is being done in different places at, at different scales. We also had... Um, like you said, uh, philanthropy on the phone. So Foundation for Louisiana is doing some great work with Lead the Coast and supporting LA Safe and, and all kinds of other work. And CPEX, who's going to be on later on the show, uh, joined too. So that was kind of the nonprofit voice who are all kind of together talking about um, the coastal um, you know, issue and also how we're addressing it. So I, I thought that was, that was a really um, accurate and important way to kind of put put our story out there for these other states because it is it is a broad coalition and we wouldn't be where we are without all the different types of actors and and, you know and cpra was able to talk a lot about um kind of really the technical aspects of it the data-driven science-based ways that they prioritize projects and how they go about their work we we got to hear about um you know intense community engagement through la safe and other things like that we got to hear about you know individual leadership development and how you know peers can educate one another um, to be better participants. And then Jeanette and I spent uh, a lot of our time talking about how we're trying to take the, the, the problem of the coast and translate that um, into uh, other state agencies that may or may not have really seen themselves as, as being, um, as that being an issue that they needed to worry about. And so we really are, you know, working um, with with agencies that are both on the CPRA board and have been kind of hearing this conversation for a number of years now, but also agencies that haven't been a part of that. And so we're trying to kind of bridge bridge those gaps. Yeah, and I think that's a theme that Simone and I have definitely hit on in this show over the years is, you know, for all the best and worst reasons, you know, Louisiana may be a little bit of ahead of the curve in terms of how we do this work in terms of the restoration and resilience side. So a lot of other states are looking to Louisiana to learn how they can implement similar programs and, um, you know, policies within their borders. So I know we had folks gathered from Florida, North Carolina, Virginia, uh, New Jersey, the state of New York, and the city of New York, um, and representatives from all of those places talking about you know the work that they're doing to build resilience. So what were some of the highlights for you, Charles, and what are some of the things that you learned from the other states? Well, I just, first of all, just want to say that I think it was just a great idea to get those folks together. Um, you know, the Rockefeller 100 Resilient Cities Initiative had 
opportunities for city resilience officers to, to network more, I think, but I don't know of any other way that the states really have something similar. And so I, I think it's really been really great because uh, we we're, we are kind of dealing with a lot of similar challenges. You know, you know, what, what's, what's the extent of your authority? What's the extent of uh, how, how much staff do you have? How many resources do you have? Like, what are the different, how are you going to pay for any of this? How are you going to, um, you know, there are just so many questions that we're all trying to figure out and we have um, some answers, full answers. We have some incomplete answers and we can, we can, we are really able to share with one another. So um, I was just really glad to hear, I think how similar our approaches were in general, you know, Louisiana kind of explained our, our, our story of, of resilience uh, kind of in a chronological narrative. So first we had a master plan and then we had an LA safe and now we have this other thing a little bit like that. And other States, they haven't, um, gone through that same process, but they kind of are, are kind of in a similar place in terms of all the different aspects of uh, resilience that they're trying to incorporate in their in their program. Um, so that was that was really interesting. Um, I'm really looking forward to when when Natalie shares all the presentations, so I can really read read them again. And it was it was a lot to digest in in a few Zoom you know, Zoom PowerPoints one after another. Um, so I am looking forward to kind of seeing their presentations again and reaching back out to people specifically to kind of follow up on on certain things. Well, and let's be honest, you know, originally as planned, uh, there would have been a lot more airboats involved and probably some, you know, local Louisiana cuisine. Um, so hopefully we can host the folks here in Louisiana at some point in the near future. And Certainly, I think funding was a big theme that came through um, the day, right? Like, how do you pay for the work of resilience, whether that's on the restoration side or the community, um, you know, engagement and kind of community development side? So interesting to see that, you know, that's certainly not a um, an issue that Louisiana stands alone in addressing. And a lot of folks are looking to, um, you know, states, but also federal government and others to understand how you pay for resilience. So Charles, we're about to head into a break and we're excited to continue the conversation with Jeanette in the next um, segment. But tell us, what are you looking forward to the rest of the year? I know it's hard to look ahead and plan um, at this moment, but, you know, anything coming up for you that you want to highlight? Uh, well, to, to keep it on the work uh, front, you're right. I mean, it is hard to know what next month's going to be like, but we are, we have been working really hard on a climate initiatives task force um, behind the scenes this, this quarantine. And so we expect a resilience executive order to come out, you know, when the world is ready, um, but also um, shortly thereafter, a, a climate one where we really look at greenhouse gas emissions and in the, in the Louisiana context of our, our economy and our, our, um, our, our vulnerabilities to climate change. Right. And we talked about that earlier in the year. You know, folks may remember the governor's announcement about working to um, commit to reduce uh, emissions within states to limit sea level rise, and certainly that being um, incredibly important in addition to the work on the adaptation front. So, Charles, I do have one thing before you go. I, I wanted to let you know that um, – your boss did want to come into the show and, and talk to you and, and to congratulate you on your new hair appointment that you have received. So he did want to pass along his congratulations that although you couldn't share a hairdresser, that you had your own hair appointment. So. It, 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 was a, it was a proud day. <laughs> Great. Not a moment too soon. Oh, okay. very proud of you. I don't care about hair. 
I'm sure he's very proud of you otherwise, but he was jealous that you were on the show indeed. So thank you, Charles. Um, I hope you stick with us while we talk to Jeanette. I know y'all work really well together, so I hope you'll stick with us a little bit too. Of course. Thanks for having me on, everybody. Thank you, Charles. Well, we'll be right back after the break. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 998 AM, always available online at deltadispatches.org. Welcome back to Delta Dispatches. I'm with Jacques Hebert of Environmental Defense Fund, and I'm Simone Malaz with Restore or Retreat. We're here every Thursday on 990 WGSO and online through our new podcast. So we have a new guest on the show who works really closely with our previous guest, Charles. Welcome to Delta Dispatches, Jeanette. Hi. Thank you for having me. Hi. So Thank you for being on. Jeanette is the Director of Coastal Programs at the Center for Planning Excellence, and she's been there since 2010, focusing on developing and providing planning and implementation tools with and for Louisiana coastal communities. She's co-authored several publications and works with numerous coastal communities to identify opportunities for reducing flood risk and increasing overall resilience. Jeanette, we want to hear more about your background and definitely want to hear more about CPEX. But first, how is your family holding up? How is the ugly cat since the (laughs) stay-at-home order began? (laughs) Well, we got to see more of the ugly cat, so she's not getting any prettier. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) we're doing great. Thank you for asking. Um, And I actually really enjoy working from home and having my kids around. So. I also have um, more than an ugly cat. I have dogs, so if they bark, I'm very sorry for the interruption. <laughs> no, no, I, th- I think it adds to the color of life, right? I love seeing uh, on the local news when the weathercaster's daughter comes climbing her lap. I think that's pretty realistic these days, so I wouldn't mind a dog bark. Um, so, Jeanette, we I gave you a very formal introduction. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, but definitely need you to tell us more about the Center for Planning Excellence. Yeah, so my background is in um, biological science. I got a degree from LSU in um, biological science, and I spent my last semester at LumpCon and just fell in love with Louisiana coast and knew that's where I wanted to be not originally from here, I grew up in Germany. And um, I studied a little bit more about environmental signs and energy and how the two relate in the Netherlands. And then I came back and I started working at um, the Center for Planning Excellence or short CPEX. And so CPEX is actually a nonprofit planning organization and we concern ourselves with planning. And what that means is that we advocate for and coordinate urban, rural and regional planning in Louisiana. and For that to happen, we provide best practice planning models. Um, We develop some innovative policy ideas and provide technical assistance to the people and and, uh, municipalities that want to um, think about how they're developing their land or redevelop their land in the future. So Jeanette, CPEX is is based in Baton Rouge. 
but y'all do work across the state, not just coastal, right? Yeah, absolutely. So um, because it's planning and where there's land, there is planning or there should be. And in the last 15 years or so, um, the Louisiana communities have actually um, become more aware of the connection between how we design our communities and what effect that may have on for instance, flood risk or public health, and then also how we get around and how difficult it is to get to places or not. And so the other thing that we did um, that is more of a, or that's less of a coastal focus is um, creating a game to learn more about a watershed, um, which is also coastal, but um, affects the rest of Louisiana. And so um, our what are you gonna do game um, is really getting um, to helping people understand what a watershed is and learning about what it is and what programs and policies are available to reduce um, economic damage from flooding, um, which is something we have been seeing all across the parishes in Louisiana. Yeah, watershed's kind of the new word, right? That's been used more and more about the connectivity there. Jeanette, we heard a little bit from Charles about um, how he relates uh, to other states and their work. So that's how CPEX works outside of Louisiana or do y'all do work outside of Louisiana? We currently do not. We would like to, um, but we're very focused on the coastal issues and, and the communities in Louisiana. We're also a relatively small shop and, um, and we're, um, We'd like to be in Louisiana. Um, I mean, yeah, we like Louisiana and we like to improve communities at home. <laughs> yeah, and, and it comes by sharing some of those ideas about, like you said, best practices in, in Louisiana and those kinds of things. So, I mean, I guess, you know, we think Louisiana is, is kind of ground zero for facing these changes to our climate and, you know, extreme weather events, right? Um, Related flooding, we saw that in 2016 with the floods to Baton Rouge and not just, um, you know, storm flooding, subsidence, coastal land loss, those kinds of things. So, you know, CPEX has has done some work with another Delta Dispatches friend, uh, Dr. Denise Reed, to collaborate to do a framework of sorts, right, for coastal Louisiana with a focus on um, communities impacted in the region. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about that collaboration and how things like non-structural elements and words like adaptation can really hit home here in Louisiana. Absolutely. And I just, um, I think Louisianians have been very good at adapting to whatever environmental changes are occurring for a very long time. So this isn't a new idea for Louisiana. Um, But this framework that you're talking about is um, something that has come out of thinking about um, the coastal master plan and the project, the non-structural projects that are listed you know, identified in there, and the limited resources that are, that are available, um, and then the need that exists, which is an inverse relationship. And so um, Denise and I got together last year, and we really brainstormed about what resilience is for Louisiana, and what, what do we need to really kind of understand to think about which projects um, should be prioritized or what information do we need to inform some of the decisions that we all will have to make or are making. And so um, this this came from like a simple thought. We were brainstorming and I um, I said, well, what, you know, what is, what is, what is resilience and how does it relate to non-structural? And so 
So I think about like the elevation, flood proofing, and acquiring a structure, which is these three um, non-structural tools that we have, that they address the individual flood risk, right? But it doesn't necessarily increase the resilience of the community. So using an example, we have, let's say we need to, um, we need to elevate five homes to reduce flood risk. Well, um, those five homes that are then elevated are not going to make the community more resilient, right? But what might make the community more resilient is to um, flood-proof the grocery store in addition or in tandem with the elevation of these homes. Because, I mean, I know that we all know this, but if the grocery store leaves, the church and the school will follow, and then we don't have a community anymore. So we really need to be thinking about what is, make, what is it that makes my community resilient and, and, and then supplement the non-structural tools with other structural tools to make this. So the framework then looks at the different pieces of what makes the community. And we have, um, we have asked ourselves some questions and used some information about a community like demographics, household income, environment, transportation, and essential services, and kind of make make the person who's either prioritizing the project or um, or wants to make a decision on a project think about how that project may impact the community more broadly or beyond the intent of, let's say, elevating the homes to reduce flood risk. What does it do? And so the frame, that's what the framework gets at. And Denise and I had many, many hours of wonderful brainstorming, and it was... Um, it was a it was a good outcome of that, and I'm I'm very glad to have had her on our team, and we actually continue to collaborate on work together. <clears throat> well, she's one of my favorite people. Um, I would imagine that brainstorming might have had a glass of wine or two involved in that, but I love her even more for that. Um, Jeanette, I am up against a break. We want to talk about your collaboration with Charles and and the state, but information like the framework that you just talked about, where can folks find that? Um, some of CPEX's uh, work that y'all have been Absolutely. doing. Absolutely. Our website is cpex.org and um, all of our publications and research findings can be found under the resources tab. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we want to be right back with Jeanette to talk more about um, the work. And so when we come back, uh, we'll bring Jeanette on. We'll also still have Charles on the line to talk about um, the work that the state is doing. Um, But you're listening to Delta Dispatches. We'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to WGSO 990 AM and on deltadispatches.org. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I have the coastal stat of the week. According to the NOAA National Center for Environmental Education, the U.S. has sustained 265 weather and climate disasters since 1980, where overall damages costs reach or exceeded $1 billion. The total cost of these 265 events exceed $1.775 trillion. 
dollars. Between 2018 and 2020 alone, billion-dollar disaster events affecting Louisiana included six severe storms, one tropical cyclone, and one flooding event. Welcome back to the show, Jeanette Dubinin from CPEX. Do those stats surprise you? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, because y'all mostly do a lot of work before and after these type of billion dollar events, right, Jeanette? Yeah, they um I'm actually surprised they're not more. So I, I think the billion they started, Yeah, they're ripple effects too that we don't calculate yet. So Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Excellent Absolutely. point. Excellent point. Well, we wanted to um, to talk more about your work um, with the state. We talked earlier with Charles Sutcliffe from the governor's office and chief resilience officer. So we brought we made Charles stick around and, and hang back. Um, so, Jeanette, tell us about, um, first of all, you've worked with Charles before, right? Let, let's get to the good stuff. Tell us something about Charles that we didn't already know. That's a tough one. Um so the first thing that popped in my mind, and I don't know if that really answers your question, is that um, Charles has been very consistently and very effectively working with the nonprofit and non-governmental sector. And um, so I think he's been very resourceful um, in terms of advancing some goals and objectives that are out there. Yeah, I appreciate Charles. He never comes at you when... He needs something um, because he's built the relationship all along the way. And so I certainly value that about him. It must be fun to work with him, too, and and rewarding, right, to work on um, the agency work. So tell us a little bit. We're talking about him like he's not here, too, by the way. Charles, you can, you can chime in. <laughs> this is weird. <laughs> so, We're giving you glowing recommendations. You should appreciate that. <laughs> So, Jeanette, yeah. why don't, from your perspective, tell us about your agency work. Um, yeah, the agency work. So, uh, if I may back up a little bit. Um, so, CPEX um, has been, for many, many years, worked sort of as a, or has developed a process by which we gather community input and then um, relay that information to the state level. And we've done several initiatives and projects that way. And... Um, it's really getting to the point of having a uh, bottom-up and top-down supported um, something that would uh, benefit our coastal environment, right? Um, and so one of those things was that uh, several years ago, we brought together um, co uh, members from, uh, from three communities that were all identified as um, having different risks on the, like on the spectrum of risk um, in the coastal master plan of 2017. And we also invited uh, agency representatives um, and Charles was there as well um, to that conversation. And what we actually found is that um, the, the local governments would really like to have um, the more backing or and cover from this from the state and um and they also identified that there needs to be um uh, you know an agency approach to doing the things that they're being asked to do and so in 2018 um the governor had a <clears throat> summit with his uh cabinet secretaries um to um, identify or to talk about climate change and then how that may impact 
the agencies directly um, with their assets or the policies and programs. And, you know, we, we spent two days on doing that and um, facilitating that discussion. And it was a wonderful experience. And um, many, many things had come out of that. But one of them was to um, really look at how can the agencies understand better what their relationship is to the coastal crisis and also to each other in um, responding and dealing with the coastal crisis. So this initiative is about understanding what the agency's role is in um, respond or in, in the coastal crisis and then to each other. So, so Charles, tell us from your perspective. Yeah, well, I think you know Jeanette said it really well, and I think um, that there, the the connection to not only the, their first summit that CPEX had, but also kind of the the some of the projections and the uh, you know visions for the future that came out of the 2017 master plan really did open a lot of eyes about hey, this is a problem that it's not going to be solved entirely by wetlands and levees alone. We're going to have to think about um, other ways to support communities as they um, experience all this change. And there's a lot of opportunities that we can um, seize, I think, if we're really smart about how we approach this problem. And so, um, you know, putting all those things together, we kind of, we landed, you know, at the end of that um, 2018 summit with the cabinet secretaries on some really clear things that we wanted to do together as a state to really, um, you know, articulate and, and define the f- how how each agency has its own role to play in increasing resilience. And it's not just a, a CPRA battle to be waged, you know, over there. It's something that we all have a, have a part to play. And so that's really what we're focusing on, um, really, really illuminating that, really trying to, like Jeanette said, find those connections between um, the strengths of different agencies and kind of match people together on some initiatives and projects and um, think about how we can um, – you know, just kind of make decisions as a state in a more holistic way and in, in a better way. So, so Jeanette, I'll direct this one to you. Has has the um, COVID situation affected your work any? <laughs> yes. Uh, well, that, that's kind of right. No, I'm laughing because I think that this is another one of those, we all adapt to the situation and we've gotten pretty good at it because this is a disaster in many ways, um, but maybe not in an environmental way necessarily as we have been used to. And so we, we've been pretty good about adapting to um, changing how we conduct our work and who to prioritize to talk with. So for instance, we had um, a very, a very good, I think, um, workshop planned for the end of April that would involve all the um, resilience coordinators that um, uh, we asked um, the agencies to appoint, um, or rather that there's an executive order that asked them to be appointed. And so because of COVID, we, we um, were able to, well, we reduced what we, um, the, the people, the agencies we reached out to to the ones that aren't directly involved with um, the response and the recovery of COVID. Um, and then we held one-on-one um, interviews and, and uh, with the coordinators and sort of just begin this um, relationship building, begin understanding who they are and what their agency does more than the desktop research that has been revealed. And so we've, we've adapted to the current um, 
the current normal, I guess. And um, but we do hope to get together um, all of us um, with the resilience coordinators in the future. Well, that's great, guys. It went so fast. We're already up against the end of the show. Um, Jeanette does not get out of here without a fun question, but I'll make it a little bit easier. I'll steal Jacques. Um, Jeanette, favorite go-to snowball flavor? Oh, I was afraid you would ask me. I actually don't like snowballs. (laughs) That's interesting in itself, right? You know, are you one of those get ice cream at the snowball? Yes, yes, I am. I am. And I'm a big fan of pistachio ice cream. So there you have it. Pistachio. Good choice, Jeanette. (laughs) Well, thank you both for being on. Thank you, Charles, for being on. Um, It's been great to talk to you guys. I've admired your work for a long time. And so thank you for making our state a better place. So we'll have you back on the show anytime. We'll talk more about um, Jeanette's beer making or um, carpentry, (laughs) right? And we need to talk about uh, Charles's fairyland that he's moving away from in his yard. So, (laughs) well, thanks, thanks, you guys. (laughs) Thank you you both. This has been another Delta Dispatches. We'll be back with another great show next week. Thanks for listening. Mm